We're in lesson number 12. We're going to go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer um, and ease back into where we left off and we'll get started. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to sit before you, Lord, and sit quietly and hear the Spirit speak. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you that uh, they're not my words that are being used, but Lord, prayerfully, these are the words coming from you as far as what you would like to teach and instruct with. We thank you again, Lord, for the privilege to be able to sit before you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for its people. We thank you for our pastor, our assistant pastor, and their wives for support. We lift them up to you, Lord, knowing that they face attacks on a regular basis. We pray for their protection as well, too. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We left off with the if-then statements that we deal with in our life relative to how we want to make sure that we are overcoming our issues of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, recognizing his presence. And what we will do sometimes to counteract our faith is to make if-then statements that should not be part of our regular train of thought. If-then statements are logic statements, but we understand that they are not anti-biblical statements when used in Scripture because Jesus, through, well, pardon me, God, made declarations about how he would bless his nation, bless his land, if they were obedient to him. But if they were not obedient to him, then he would certainly curse those people and demand that they be cut off from him completely from his people. So we gave you a bit of a homework assignment. I don't know if you did the homework assignment or not. Um, we're not grading on a curve here. <laughs> and so, but I'm going to ask the question of the if-then statements that we discussed last time about what are those statements in your life that you want to get rid of? What are the ones that you want to get rid of that will detract you from being able to truly see Jesus Christ and his presence throughout your life? You know, a very basic statement that I can make right now. If things are not going well, then I'm going to have a pity party. If things aren't going my way, I'm going to have, then I'm going to have a temper tantrum. Regardless of whether Jesus is in the picture. So that's an example of if-then statements. Now, I was prepared that some people would not have anything to offer in this, in this category. That's why I'm giving you some examples of what I mean when I say if-then statements that you want to get rid of. If I am sick at home, I'm going to, then I'm going to make everyone else miserable who's taking care of me. Make sense? Now, these are all things that show you taking charge of a situation rather than truly leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ for help and assistance. These are statements that we need to remove from our way of thinking. 
What counteracts this whole thing about Jesus' presence is our selfish behavior. You probably picked up on that. We can be selfish. We can be sometimes ungrateful. We can be unforgiving. We can show a lack of mercy. And that sometimes even has to do with how we treat ourselves. It's normal to ask questions about why things are happening, and I've mentioned this many, many times, because that's how you're wired, that's how you are made. You are made to ask these questions when things are difficult. But ultimately, you're not always going to get the answers you like. So when you don't get the answer you like, do you have a tantrum about it with the Lord? A little bit of truth-telling needs to take place in your life. When things are tough, you know, what are they, what's the old saying? When the, <laughs> when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, the tough get going can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. The tough get going should mean I'm going to suck it up and rely on Jesus Christ. And understand that he's going to take care of everything. Now, and we say, let's, let's, pick up, let's pick apart those words for a minute. Those words are accurate. But what does it mean by take care? Take, what does taking care of everything mean? What does that represent? Again, we just said, if things aren't going our way, we may not get the answer we like. We may not get the solution we want. And that's what creates these if-then statements in our life. So what does take care really mean? Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Now, these are not trite statements. These are scripturally based statements. Amen? We have to make sure that we're also using those in the proper context when we're discipling other people, too. We can't just fire off. We, we know each other here. We've known each other for a long time. We can fire off a statement like that and say, let go and let God. And, say, and that is absolutely true. But we also need to make sure that if we're discipling someone, there needs to be some teaching behind that comment, let go and let God. Once again, going back into the discipleship mode and understanding that when we're talking to people, we need to make sure that we're completing that statement with foundational support. If it's life experience, great, use that. If it's scripture, great, use that if the Spirit calls for it. And we should be ready to pick up a Bible and show people too when, the, when we're called upon to do those things. But even as we instruct others, we learn, don't we? We have our own life lessons we've learned. Go ahead, I'm sorry. When you're saying instruct others, I know the thing that I always tell people is we really want to say not my will, but your will, because it's a surrendering of your will, because God will do what his will is versus our will. Yep. And not only that, I challenge them with the thing of do you trust that he's good? Amen. That's right. It could be marked with a bunch of yucky stuff. How many of you ever cleaned a toilet? <laughs> clean it. Yeah, clean your toilet. Well, you know that you're going to deal with yucky stuff in the midst of what? Getting it clean. 
there's stuff you have to do to clean your toilet. You just can't let it go and not clean your toilet for months on end. That's not going to work. But in the midst of that, you deal with what? Yucky stuff. And that's life. Everything that Faith just said, I couldn't say better. When we have a lack of faith, when we don't like what's coming our way, when we see yucky stuff, that's where these if-then statements start popping up. Remember, here's a very important truth. And even Jesus himself said, not my will, but your will. He said that himself in his relationship with the Father. Not my will, but your will. The reality is, is that we have to live in such a way where no matter what is happening or no matter what is coming across or what is going on in our lives, whether it's good, bad, ugly, crappy, nasty, funky, we have to go back and look at Jesus Christ and look at what he went through as well, too in the midst of all this, for salvation, for our salvation. Now, it doesn't make it any easier. I'm not trying to soften any blows here because we, we don't need that, do we? We already have taken those blows. We've already dealt with these issues. And we probably, you know, for some of us who are around, we're going to have more issues to deal with as we get older. We were, Lynn and I were having a conversation um, we're talking about a guy who was a roller skater. Pearl, you may have seen some of this online. don't know if you did or not, but one of the skaters uh, passed away. He was only 52 years old. He had leukemia, I believe, and he was a, a semi-regular skater at the rink. And as we're getting older, you know, we're both, Lynn and I are both past 52. You know, as we get older, we're going to experience and see more things that may not go very well. With, for some people. And we recognize that. We understand that. That's why we need to be as prayerful as we can be as we get older in our golden years, right? Well, that's, that's the truth. We just need to be prayerful. Always pray for your church family. Pray for your members of your church family. Now, those are the ones that should come to mind immediately after your immediate, your own personal family. You know, I'm still praying for my sister. I, I give you guys a brief update. She had, had her baby uh, in November, December, and just had recently had some surgery. The baby had some surgery for correction of uh, something that had to do with her spine, his spine, excuse me. And he's fine. He is recovering. They'll probably have to keep an eye on that and watch that as he gets older because it's just a baby. And we're just praying for my sister to be a little less street. And a little more um, of a servant for Christ. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. A little less street, a little more in service for Jesus. Because she knows who Jesus is. But some people, you know, they they make that if-then statement. If I want to get along with my friends, then I'd better, you get what I'm saying? Follow along with the way they go. There's an if-then statement right there for that, the way that she's thinking. She's respectful, you know, to me, and, and we've had good little communication here and there, but, but I just know where she's coming from, and I know where, it, when I was her age, 
Well, even really before her age, I, I knew what that meant to be street. And y'all know what it means to be street. Okay. You know you can't live like that if you're following Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, those if-then statements, what are they? If, I'm on the second uh, page two on the handout, right at the top. If-then statements are based on our logic. Our logic. Now, logic overall is a good thing. However, we need to make sure that we're using it appropriately. You know, logic is something that you're taught in school. And I got to be honest with you, when I I took a logic course, I I, I think it just went over my head about a million times because it can get pretty deep and it can get really, (laughs) it's just very heavy stuff. But when we're talking about logic, we know exactly how to use it when we want to get our way. Amen? When we want to get our way, we can use it if we really want to. Which we shouldn't be doing. It should not be our way, but it should be God's way. We often create them to compensate for the mystery of God's action or supposed inactivity. Understand something. Because God is not acting fast enough for some of us, we start to take the reins and do what we want to do. And we just got through saying God is good. We just got through saying that God is the one we need to let go and let God. Well, some of us can't let go. Some of us have a hard time letting go. If you're having a hard time letting go, then how do you know God is really working in your life? Now, I say this, this is not a discussion for non-believers because non-believers don't have this perspective. Non-believers are going to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes at their own time. But we have believers who struggle with this very issue. We have believers who scuffle. We don't even need to mention names. We know people in our lives that are struggling with this who supposedly know the Lord. That's why we have to have instruction. That's why we have to teach this. That's why we have to reinforce. When we say God's goodness, well, let's, what is God's goodness? If someone were to ask you a question, what is God's goodness? How would you answer that question? I'm going to challenge you that you would answer that question based upon what your personal experience with God is. Either a little or a lot. But you need to be able to answer the question. The one thing that I remember, and I may have shared this before, about God's goodness. I remember after my divorce, I would sit in my room, in my bedroom at my house that I was in, and hear nothing but quiet. I attribute that to God's goodness. A moment of peace, a moment of rest, a moment after all kinds of emotional turmoil, you're experiencing his goodness in that moment. Now, that's one way that I'm describing it. 
You may have your own descriptive of God's goodness, but trust me when I tell you, there ain't nothing like peace, rest, and comfort after you've gone through a storm. Or a number of storms. That's God's goodness. Because you're there to personally experience it. You're a survivor. Survival sometimes is a reflection of God's goodness. Yes. That's exactly right. You absolutely did not know what you were going through. When you go through it, you don't know what the heck is going on. Amen? But you can look back on it and understand how you were brought through it. You can, now you have a point of reference. That's God's goodness. Yeah. You have to. And you just have to recognize he himself is pure, holy, lovely. He is good. Amen. There is nothing else in him but goodness. Amen. And if you can trust that, and as you move through your circumstances, what father would give a, a scripture, a text, or something harmful to their son? Mm-hmm. He's not going to teach you anything. Right. But Very good. Also, the father that corrects you in some unpleasant ways. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, don't associate God's goodness to when people do bad things to you. It has nothing to do with God's goodness. And sometimes what happens is when bad things happen to us, we equate the people who do things to us as being the bad thing. Well, therefore, well, God, you allowed that to happen. Hey. Yeah. That's right. A lot of the messes that we get into are wrong. Someone else had their hand up. I don't know who was it. Okay. It's very true because he is what is right. Goodness is what is right. And each of us know what is right to do. Right. But we you know, we the whole you think the Holy Spirit is saying Right. You know, do the right thing. Do the right thing. And we know that God has blessed you. Right. Absolutely. Yes, Pearl. It's your heart. It's really 
I think danger, dangerous waters, when you've fallen apart over here, you say you love God, you're teaching people the word, and you're trying to be teaching people the word, mm -hmm. and you portray in this, but then on this spectrum over here, mm -hmm. you've fallen all the pieces, you've fallen apart, you're ready to just push that situation on, and mm -hmm. you just be done with it, and you've just been there scrapping, that's confusing people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're teaching, yep. you know, and it's just real hard to just kind of, you must get through muddy water like that. Sure. And even for me, it's hard to kind of just reach in and, and kind of help mm -hmm. clear the waters. But when you already have your set of own thinking mm -hmm. of who you think God is and, and your portrayal of Him and your teaching of Him, it is just a whole tightness. So we really have to be careful, like Faith said, what she was told. Is the understanding that God is good and Himself, He's mm -hmm. good in the midst of everything that's going on. We've got to trust and have the peace that He's in control of this situation. So, in the midst of all, I, I you know, I laid in bed yesterday and I, uh, I just figured, you know what, Lord, I don't know. Before I jump and start doing this and doing that and doing this, I need you to give me some very clear instructions here. And it mm -hmm. may seem sometimes that uh, you're slowing, or you're not ready to, you know, help, or you're not helping with the situation when the naysayers don't understand, no, I'm praying for instruction mm -hmm. as to what the next step needs to be so that I don't jump in. And well, that's exactly what you need to do. <laughs> Whenever you're dealing with issues, especially if people try to throw God in your face, Okay, let's, let's just tell it like it is, okay? Because this is exactly... I was led to mention that we're blessed to be in a church that we're in. Okay? Because we don't have cliques. We don't have factions. We don't have people who are just doing false teaching in our midst. Unfortunately, you know as well as I do, there are a lot of folks who are going to churches today right now that are going into cliques, factions, and false teaching. Why? Because Scripture says so. If they're talking about in the book of James, or 1 John, 2 John, about false teaching existing, even back in that time when Jesus barely had left the earth, of course they're going to talk about it now because we have to understand the realm that we're in we're in a realm, we're in a realm of Satan's domain. I'll just add to that, it's a demonic realm. So when I say to you, the importance of sometimes it's better to wait, wait for the Lord just to speak to you. You are praying about the situation, you bathe it in prayer. You bathe in prayer the other person, the other person who's causing all this difficulty, you bathe that situation in prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do, I don't know if I should do anything. Lord, please give me instruction either to do something or wait for you, which is the hardest thing to do because you, you as an emotional person don't want to see something that's causing disarray. Understand something. Satan loves disarray. Satan loves discord. Satan loves infighting. Satan loves to see people who are supposedly following the Lord Jesus Christ duking it up with each other. Where, as, you know, basically, Jesus would tell you, you need to step back out of that situation. 
So we need to understand that these if-then statements apply even in how we approach prayer. We need to be prayerful and allow God to work in every situation where we just don't have any impact. We don't have an effect. We, there's nothing that we can say. You're going to basically get a counter, uh, counterpoint to your point. Well, why are you fighting with that? If they don't want to hear it, who's going to have to break through? Jesus is. They had to break through. So do yourself a favor. Sometimes you need to step back from situations like that. If you're in a church like that, you need to get out of it. I don't care how many friends you got in there. You need to get out of it. Why are you in a situation where teaching is not taking place, where you're not being fed, you're not getting the instruction? Now understand something. You've got to feed yourself. That's the bottom line. That's your responsibility as a person. You have to feed yourself. You have to be able to sit up and say, okay, whatever was being taught, you need to be able to go back and say, was well, that true? Was that not true? Acts 17, 11. If you're not being taught, go somewhere to be taught. You have to know, but you have to know, too. That's the other thing. A lot of people, unfortunately, take the word of somebody else all the time, take somebody else's advice, and, I, and that's okay to take someone else's advice, provided you're praying about it, you're consulting with the Lord about it, and he sends people who are, who are biblically, biblically sound speaking to you. You don't take any Joe's advice off the street. And unfortunately, some folks in church... They're like any Joe off the street. Well, this is not meant to be a, a discussion about churches, but I think you get my drift on how important it is to be in a sound biblical environment to have discussions like this, to recognize when you're discipling someone, understand something. Some people come from jacked up backgrounds, and I mean jacked up teaching. Yes, Ed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Didn't listen to the teachers. Gotcha. That's on you, isn't it? Okay, let's move on. Note that these if-then statements with our logic are myths. Myths. God is mysterious. Don't create a myth to try to solve the mystery of who he is and his ways. That's a great point. We know that God is mysterious. Is not God mysterious? Is everything about God mysterious? Absolutely. Can't explain it. Remember, we always want to see something happen right away. And yet, a lot of stuff is allowed to happen. And we don't understand it. But there is actually an end game to all that God allows. But it's a very mysterious process. Guard yourself against the urge to fill in those missing pieces with your own logic. Let me tell you something. After all is said and done, after all the stuff that we're reading about and hearing about and seeing and witnessing when it comes to our world, the ultimate end game is that every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether that person likes it 
or not. That's the end. That's the end result of this. And there is going to be teaching that is even taking place in the midst of all this that is happening. You have to understand something. Not everyone is going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But we also know Scripture says that God desires for every person to accept Christ as Savior. That's what He wants to see. But you have a choice in that. Don't try to fill in those missing pieces with your own logic. Let's continue on. I found that Scripture uses the idea of if, then, often, but it uses it in very different ways than thinking if God did blank, then I would be happy. We know that is a myth. Scripture says things like, if God is for us, who is against us? Romans 8.31. And we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Galatians 6.9. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and take a look at that. We've done a lot of talking in this class today, and this is the first passage we've looked at. But that's okay. We're going back to Scripture and looking at something to reinforce our communication, our discussion today. Deuteronomy 4.29. And this has everything to do with we as believers developing our relationship with the Lord and getting deeper and stronger with it because the deeper our relationship is with the Lord, guess what we're going to not be doing? If-then stuff for our own logic. It says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with what? All your heart and with all your soul. Guess what? That's our ultimate end game personally if we're honest about this we don't always seek the lord with all our heart and all our soul we're still learning how to do that very thing we're still working with this we seek the lord yes but do we do it fervently when we do our regular reading on a daily basis, do we do so with a desire to tear into the word and look at it? Or do we do it because, well, we need to get that off our checklist for the day? You need to think about that. And I'm challenging myself with this too, by the way. I am nobody special. I'm not going to pretend to be anybody special. I'm just a dude that is still learning about this thing about seeking the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul. I'm better than I was, but I got a lot of improvement that I need to do. What does Deuteronomy 4.29 promise under what condition? Tell me. Say it again. If you seek him, you're going to find him. You know, it's the ultimate game of hide and seek. But all you got to do is just start looking. And he'll come out from wherever he is and find you. Isn't it interesting how that works? He will find you if you're looking after him, looking to him. Excuse me, yes. It does. That's part two of this. That's correct. It has to be a sincere effort. 
Seek the Lord your God. Now understand something. The assumptions being made, if you're seeking after him, you want some answers. You want some truth. You want something to help support you. Your understanding of him. Yes. Go, go ahead. Yeah. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is merciful to the merciful God. Mm-hmm. You will not abandon or destroy or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed. That's right. He will not forget you. He will not forget you. Understand something. This is and this is just logic. That we're using to say that he's never going to leave. When he says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. Well, why would he? That's against his nature. He knew about you before you were conceived. He knew about you before when when the when the world was being created. He knew about you. Why would he forget about you? He knows all about you. Yes, go ahead. Should have been, yep. Absolutely. 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 Very true. He is the best father. He is an example of what, when you look at your own personal father, you wish your father could be anything like who God is. You may not always get that, that privilege, but if you have a bad father, you look to the heavenly father. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yep. Moses found him in a burning bush. That's right. He created all that. That's right. You can find him in him, mm-hmm. in your heart, in the tree. That's right. Now, that's a perspective that we have, you have to develop over time in your personal experience with him. You know that you can find him anywhere if you're really looking for him. He's there. You know, when you walk outside, the very issue of nature and what he's created and what you walk out into every day is evidence of his presence. Okay. How does the if-then statement in Psalms 66, 18, and 19 empower us rather than leave us passively waiting for God to do what we want him to do? Well, we need to look at Psalm 66. 18 and 19. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. I'm just going to add verse 20. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. 
So how does the if-then statement in Psalm 66, 18, and 19 empower us rather than leave us passively waiting for God to do what we want him to do? Which God does call us to take action. The action starts with prayer. Not just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Understand something, a lot of people just sit around and wait for something to happen. But the very thing that we talked about when Pearl was talking about her situation, it starts with you praying. That's taking action. But not jumping ahead of God, not jumping in front of something. You've got to be careful about what you jump in front of. You might jump in front of a bus. Yep. You know, people who say even in naive Christians, that's not their first go-to. Yeah. That's that's not getting something done. We're so quick to want to just get something. Oh yeah. There's, there's even a, I'm going to interrupt you. There's even a movement, you know, some people, when, when somebody gets shot or there's these shootings that take place, oh, thoughts and prayers, why are you doing all that? What is that? How did that stop what happened here? That's a minimization. That's exactly what you're talking about. It's taking God out of the picture. You have to understand when you hear stuff like this, that's Satan poisoning the minds of people to think that your idea of prayer is a waste of time. Understand why you see what you see. You guys are smart enough to pick up on stuff like this. You need to understand that thoughts and prayers are exactly what you should be doing. In the midst of any tragedy, in the midst of any difficulty, in the midst of your own personal situation, thoughts and prayers are what you should be doing. Why? Because of this passage, you're seeing that Prayer means something. It has an impact. It has an effect. Why pray for somebody who has cancer? You should. But rather than sitting back and just, well, I don't know what's going to happen next. No, you don't. So you basically said an obvious truth. When you pray about someone who's going through a difficult time when it comes to marriage, I didn't hear a bell or nothing, I know. Does that mean time is up? The bell is absent? <laughs> He's up there pointing at the clock. All right, well, let me finish my point anyway. We need to be praying. That's taking action in a positive way, even if we don't have all the answers. Prayer is what we need to do to get through these tough situations. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God truly, truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Your prayer always means something, especially when you're approaching him with sincerity. And we're, we're, we're well past as believers talking about prayers that are meaningless. Lord, I pray for a new car, but not just any car. I want a Rolls Royce. Yeah, so Rolls Royce Silver Shadow. Let's just go for the whole thing, right? Well, we're beyond that. That's not a prayer that is relevant or effective. It's not a sincere prayer. It's not a realistic prayer. We are trained and have been trained as believers to pray without ceasing, but pray with diligence, pray effectively, pray unselfishly. We know better than that. 
We understand that. All right, I guess we have to stop. So, take the information we've shared today. I challenge you to go back over this material, the part we've covered here too, and when we finish strong next week, we will have a new lesson coming up with it. But I want you to be thinking about, again, what do you need to pray about and who do you need to pray for? Okay? And one of the things we've been saying, we've been obviously praying for those people who have been ailing, but pray for your church, pray for your congregation, pray for your families. Pray that God gives you the wisdom that you need to take either action or inaction and allow him to work through all of your circumstances. That's the takeaway here. We don't use our own logic to solve problems. We allow God to help solve these issues as they come up. Amen? That's the takeaway for today. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to allow us to just hear you speak to us. And Lord, we, we hope that some of the touch points today covered, we are prayerful that those things will be, we can be mindful of going forward, remembering that our own wisdom is inadequate before you. We just thank you again for the opportunity to serve you, to teach others, to give instruction, and to first and foremost, be taught by you. We do thank you for your presence. We know that you indeed have never left us or forsaken us. We would not be here today if, it were the, if this were the case. We just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your peace, your rest, and your comfort. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. See you next time.